give some good handles on that as well today. So starting in verse 18, it says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. And so let's address the first thing that pops up here, the last hour or last days, end times kind of a thing. So when we think about Scripture on the whole, I think uh, it's helpful for us, like if we pick up the Bible and we divide it into four parts, okay? Here's our four parts. Creation, okay? Fall, redemption, restoration. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Creation, we're good with, okay? And I'll be honest, whether you read Genesis, Genesis 1 and 2 as metaphorical or completely literal, as long as God is at the center of it and it's theological, I'm not going to argue with you, okay? But here's the point. God made it all, okay? That was creation. And so we have just a few chapters in the beginning of the, of the Bible about creation, even though... So she would, she would never tell you this, but, but Morgan Burden filled in like the absolute zero hour this morning playing. Um, that's not John Stockland, um, but, but Juan was supposed to lead this morning. Tuesday, he broke a finger playing basketball, and I'm like, dude, there's no chance. I mean, not going to happen. He's like, ah, oh, it's not displaced. I'll be fine. And we're like, it's not going to happen. And so he kept going the whole week. He's like, I think I'll be fine. And yesterday morning, he texted. He's like, man, we're good. We're going to do it. We'll be fine. I'm like, dude, it's your ring finger on your cord hand. Like, it's not going to happen. He's like, no, nope, I'll be fine. So we were fully invested, ready to roll. And then last night, he's like, I've got a fever and chills and feel real bad. And so, so Morgan, thank you for just jumping in last minute. That's pretty awesome. I was fully ready just to read, read scripture this morning and, and not make you guys sing at all. So thank you guys for, uh, for jumping in and making it happen this morning. Uh, we are back in 1 John this morning. No curveballs. Uh, we're going to be in 1 John starting in verse, chapter 2, verse 18. And if you want to go ahead and turn there and get ready, you can. It'll be on the screen as well. Um, but I wanted to give you guys an update on the Larrabees and how everything's going with them. Um, they, they didn't have a great day yesterday. Um, Grant, his O2 levels kept dropping, and so they ended up intubating Grant. And so they're going to keep him on intubation up into the surgery and most likely after. Uh, he will have uh, open-heart surgery probably Thursday of this week um, to begin to, to correct uh, the birth issues that he had. Um, and so they struggled yesterday. It wasn't a fun day for them. And so pray for them. Pray for strength and endurance. Um, their oldest son, Cooper, they brought him down on Wednesday, I think, this week. Uh, Becky's parents brought him down, and so they got to have Cooper there. So he's staying with them for the rest of the time there. And so Becky posted a pretty cool picture yesterday, and of, she said Cooper's been doing rounds with the doctors. And so Cooper was just in there with the doctors, his arms crossed, and all the doctors are sitting there taking notes. And so it was, it was pretty fun to see. Um, but yeah, continue to pray for them, lift them up. Uh, as needs are made known, as needs come up, we're going to let people know and take care of them. Right now, they do want to say like a huge thank you. Uh, they're supposed to be in the Ronald McDonald House, but it's kind of that first come, first serve idea. And there are other people ahead of them. So right now, they're doing a hotel kind of or a long extended stay hotel day by day until they get into the Ronald McDonald. So uh, continue to pray for them. You know, so it's, it's not easy to watch a child just, you know, struggle. And so they're, they're there. Yeah. So love those guys. Good grief. Um, all right. But they would want us to continue today, so we're going to. Uh, if you weren't with us before Advent kicked off, um, and we will pray for the Larrabees as a family at the end, by the way, so just hold on for that. But uh, if you weren't with us before Advent kicked off at the end of November, we were in First John for several weeks. We're jumping back in today. If, if you weren't here, I can't, I can't tell you everything that we've talked about then, but if you want to stick around for the rest of this, I would highly encourage you 
to go uh, download Podbean or Spotify or whatever and listen to those first several messages at 2x speed. You know, I speak slowly, you know, so already, but if you put me on 2x, like, you can get through uh, pretty quick. I wouldn't advise it. That'd be terrible. Um, but go back and listen to get caught up. Uh, but the cliff notes that I'll give you right now, um, this is kind of like in all regards, John is the elder statesman of the church at this point, probably 90s uh, AD, and, and he's, he's the last living capital D disciple. And he's, he's been through a lot. They've tried to kill him a couple times. It didn't happen. Uh, he was exiled on the Isle of Patmos. That occurred. Um, and my opinion, don't, don't hold it up higher, I believe that he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John after he wrote Revelation. Um, you can go and do your own research. That's fine. Nothing that I say today will hinge on that, uh, but that is, that is my belief. Uh, but again, it's not important for your salvation. It's just scholastic. So either way, still completely valid. Um, and so he's writing to kind of seven churches, you know, in this area. He's living in Ephesus at the time, and, and he's kind of writing them. Today, the text that we're going to see is basically going to reveal the reason for the letter. Like, he's already given them a lot of things. He's given them some, some kind of indicators that I refer to them about their salvation, some if-then statements, some if-this, then-this, or if-this, then-not-this. Um, going back to Philosophy 101 at Clemson, some of those conditional statements, it was like math without numbers. It was a horrible class. But this is what John's doing. He's giving conditional statements. Um, and he's also just kind of giving them, like, you know, ideas and, and ways to understand, like, what Jesus has done, some things to think about sin, the fact that, yes, sin is going to occur. God knew that that God gave us Jesus, and he also gave us forgiveness to deal with sin. And so if we are people that are following Jesus, we, we do that. We deal with sin by taking it to God, seeking forgiveness, seeking restoration, not for our salvation to continue because that's already been granted by grace, but because the relationship with God through Christ is inhibited by sin and we need to deal with it. And so we've talked about uh, there are, there's this this underlying tension in the book of 1 John because there was a schism at some point. It's not the word we've used up until now, but today it will kind of appear. Uh, there was a falling out of sorts between the people that were following Jesus or in the church at Ephesus and these surrounding cities. Um, there was a fallout between those people and some people that were previously in the church, but they left. And not only did they leave, but they were trying to take people with them. Like they were actively trying to de-recruit kind of a thing. Like, hey, we're thinking differently about some things. We want you to think like us, so, so come with us. Today it's going to kind of come out, and this is going to be the reason, for the most part, for this particular letter. Even though he's addressing a ton of other things, today the, the schism is kind of revealed, so to speak. And so it's going to pitch itself out as, as a warning. And I'll go ahead and tell you there's a couple words or a couple phrases in here that I will go ahead and say, and we say this a lot, like when we read scripture, context is everything. Like context is everything. We must understand the context of, of why it was written, who it was written to, who it was written by, how would they have understood it, and then we use that to interpret how we need to understand it as well. So that means that we're not just reading one verse and we're basing our whole life on one verse. We're reading the whole piece, the whole view of Scripture, looking at it as one giant puzzle, and we're trying to pull out pieces and fill in the entire puzzle. And so we want to look at the context of that. And so I'm going to read through the text that we're going to look at but don't form opinions yet. Like, hear it, uh, but there's a couple places in here that if we based our life just on one or two of these verses, man, we could be going in the wrong direction without understanding why it was written and what exactly is being said. So with all that, let me pray, and then we're going to jump in, starting in verse 18 of chapter 2. God, we love you. Thank you so much for loving us. Thank you uh, for Jesus. God, thank you that, that in him there is no... There is no mistruth. There is no lie. He's trustworthy. God, he's worth basing our entire life and our eternity on. Um, and God, we can place all of our trust fully in him. 
thank you for your word. Uh, God, thank you that it was written to people a couple thousand years ago, but it's still equally as applicable to us today. God, thank you that it may have been written by men, but it was inspired by you to shape uh, your family, your church, your body here, and to let us know who we are and how we should live in response to what you've done through Christ. Thank you so much for your word. I pray we look at it well. We do not add anything or take anything away. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 18, we'll go through 27. It says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that this is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One. And you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And so a couple of of phrases or words that stick out from the very beginning. The first is that word antichrist, like that sticks out. And so let me, let me give you a little bit of knowledge, and maybe you didn't know. Did you know that the only place that the word antichrist appears is in 1 John? Did you know that? Doesn't appear in Revelation. Doesn't. But like every Tim LaHaye movie we see, like it's going to talk about it a lot, right? Okay, I will say this. There are other pointers and other um, allusions and places that are leading to us to understand about the capital A Antichrist, starting in Revelation chapter 13, continuing 17 and on, that will continue to give us these ideas, but the word Antichrist only appears in 1 John, okay? So it's only here. And so a lot of the things that we learn about that, some of them have... Some of them have been fictional to a degree, okay, but some of them have been very true. When it comes to reading about Revelation, Jesus' return, I think one thing that we have to understand is when we read the book of Revelation, we need to read it the way that people of the time would have read it and understand that when they read that, a lot of times they would have been looking back at the Old Testament, but a lot of times they would have been looking towards the future. And so that's, that's difficult for us, okay? But either way, Antichrist only appears in, in John. Another thing that pops up here that we're going to address is, is there's a couple ideas of Uh, you know everything that you need to know, so you're good. No one needs to teach you anything. Okay, we want to talk about the context of that. And then the other idea that's here is end of times. Okay, when we read the New Testament, we're going to see end of days, last days, end of times, final days pop up. We're going to try. It probably took a long time. It was much longer than it takes us to read just a couple chapters. It was a while before the second part, the fall. We read about that. Adam and Eve in the garden, do not eat of this tree. Is it really that bad? Mm, I don't know. I'm going to eat. Hey, hubby, how about you eat? Oh, no, we've sinned. God has to kill the very first thing to clothe them. Okay, and so from that point on, fall. And then it's leading all the way up to Jesus, Jesus coming, being born of a virgin, living a perfectly sinless life, even though temptation was abundant, dying a sinner's death, kicking death in the teeth, walking out of the grave, and ascending back to where he was supposed to be, redemption. 
And that, that's redemption. We're living in that phase now. Mankind is being redeemed day by day. Those who are following Jesus are being saved day by day. We are living in redemption. And we are waiting for restoration. When Christ comes back, wipes away all pain, all tears, all sin, all temptation, makes things as good as they were intended to be in the garden, but eternal. And so for us, whenever we see um, the disciples, whenever we see the writers, whenever we see them talking about the last days, the end of days, they're talking about, look, Jesus has come, Jesus has conquered sin, conquered death, and given us a way into God. We're living and we're waiting for the final scene, which is restoration. So we're living in the last days before Christ returns. And so for the disciples, to be honest, the way that Jesus talked, it sounded like it could be any day now, because Jesus spoke in these terms too. He's like, after me, the helper's going to come, give you everything that you need, but I will return. He didn't give them a time frame, but, you know, for the disciples, there's no reason they thought it would be thousands of years, you know, because they didn't know what thousands of years looked like, but we know, looking back, it's already been a couple thousand. We don't know how much longer it will be. Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour, not even me, that's just God the Father, and so if someone does come to you and tell you that they know the day and the hour, you can pretty much understand that that's not it, because they don't know. And so, you know, so if somebody tells you this tomorrow, hey... Clug, chug along, it's not tomorrow, all right? But either way, we're in, as according to all of the things that God needed to do in order to bring about full restoration, we're in that, that last phase before that occurs. And so it may not be days, weeks, months, years. It could be a millennia. We, we don't know. What we do know is the things that we've been told to do, the way that we're told to live, the Jesus that we depend on, and so that's what we do. We work in the known, not the unknown. And so whenever we see that phrase... Uh, the last hour, last days, that's what we, we understand. And so after that, he says, children, it is the last hour. We are in this, this final phase before restoration. And as you heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Again, this word only shows up here, not just in this chapter. It pops up two more, two or three more times in the book of 1 John. doesn't show up anywhere else. There are allusions to it before this, after this, as the way that it's laid out in, in canon of Scripture. But He's pitching this out, and apparently it was something that they were aware of, that they were familiar with. That, so you've heard, like you've heard, that there is going to be this capital A Antichrist. It's not capitalized in, in the ESV, but a lot of modern English translations is going to be the singular individual that is going to be prophesied about, like you've heard, like he's coming. But he says he's not going to focus on that. He says, so now, actually already, many Antichrists have come. Antichrist. And so we can spiritualize this word and make it a whole lot bigger than it is, or we can use this text to define it. We can use context to define what, he, what exactly he's talking about, and it will. So don't get too bent out of shape about that. So he continues on. Therefore, we know that it's the last hour. He's also using this. Apparently, there was a, uh, a teaching at the time that they would have been familiar with that, hey, when the Antichrist come, we're in that last hour. Okay, this is further proof. We've already seen Jesus fix, and we're being redeemed. We're not completely restored yet, but redemption has occurred. Death has been conquered. A way away from sin has been given, all of that. Um, and also the Antichrist is here. So we know we're, we're in that last phase. So that's the way he starts. And then he starts to define them, starting in verse 19. They, speaking of the Antichrist that have already come, he said, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out, that it might become plain that they are, not, that they are all not of us. A lot of times we believe that uh, when we read 1 John, and we've, we've asked this question, like, where did these people come from that believe differently and were trying to pull people away? They were their people. Like, they were the people of, 
of these surrounding towns, maybe in Ephesus, maybe Laodicea, Philadelphia, all of those cities. They were, they were those people. They were people that had been functioning within the organization of the church, maybe not the family of church defined by the saving power of Jesus, but they had been functioning day by day, walking around as if they were in the church. And now they've become called like antichrists. He said they, they, were, they were here. But he said, but what we know, because of what they say, because of what they've done, because of what we're going to see in just a minute, like they were, they were in amongst us, but they weren't us. Okay, they were, they, were, they, were, yeah, they were in the crowd, they were chanting the same thing, but they really weren't of us. And he said, do you know why we can tell that? He said, because they left. Because they left. If they had really been of us, they would not have. And so when we read Scripture also, like there's, when we're thinking about the gospel and we're thinking clearly, um, every now and then there's a, a little bit of confusion as to whether or not you can lose your salvation. Like, I'll be honest. Like, if we read all of the New Testament, 98% of it, I read it and I'm like, nope, I'm once saved, always saved. I'm good with that. But there's a few little places every now and then you'll read and I'm like, ah, if I just read just that, I don't know. You, you, there's some places in Hebrews and there's some things that we don't know about people and the, the audience of Hebrews because we're not Hebrew, but there's a few places you read it and you're like, mm, I think I can explain that away, but if I just read this, I wouldn't know. But this is one of these places right here where it goes to that 98%. He's like, look, if they would have been of us, like really of us, they wouldn't have left. They wouldn't have left. And so I do. Like I, I have great faith that what God does through salvation, he will not undo. What God does through salvation, he will not undo. Because after all, it is God saving me based upon his amazing omnipotence, omniscience, and him knowing everything, and also his all-powerful nature. Like, what God does, he will not undo. And that includes my salvation. And this is just one more of those texts that goes towards that, that 98% for me. He says, for if they had been of us, they, they would not have gone out. This is how we know, because they, they left. Continuing on in verse 20. He begins to explain a little bit about the people's conditions, the one who stayed. He said, but you, you've been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all, or you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is in the truth. He's like, you, on the other hand, um, you do know stuff. Like, you've been blessed by the Holy One, the Holy Spirit most likely here. Like, you've been granted knowledge that has led to salvation. You know stuff. Like, you know things. And so that's good. He'll come back to that in just a minute. And he's like, and this is why I'm writing to you. I'm writing to you because you are the us, you are the we that have been gathered together under the Father through the Savior and dwelled by the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm writing to you for this very reason. They left. You didn't. You stayed. And so that's why you're the recipient of these, this letter today. And so apparently the schism that's existed, and he's starting to uncover it, apparently there were people that walked around among them uh, that most days looked like family, smelled like family, talked like family, uh, wore the same clothes, metaphorically, maybe literally. They, they probably all did dress in the same hues during that time. But either way, he's like, for all intensive purposes, they, they looked just like us. But they left. They left. And not only did they leave, but they've been actively trying to pull you away too for the reasons that they left. And like anecdotally, like, I guarantee, like, if we did a, a little raise of hands and a survey and say, hey, if, if you've been in the church for more than five years, have you seen this? Most of us would raise our hand and say, yeah, we've seen it. If you've been in the church for more than 10 years, you'd definitely raise your hand and say, yes, I've definitely seen it. Uh, 20 years, by all means, we would see it. Just as applicable today as it was then. Maybe slightly different topics, but the practicality as the way that it works out, we've seen it. 
And then in verse 21, continuing on, he says, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and no lie is of the truth. Here he's starting to reveal what's occurring. He says, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and Son. So these people, this is what's occurring at its simplest level. These people that were amongst them, that were in them, that were breaking bread at their tables, uh, doing all of those things, they've left. And this is why they've left, and this is the message that they're trying to say. They're trying to change the truth of who Jesus was uh, when it was revealed to them. They're trying to change that. He says, who is the Antichrist? Those who deny the Father and the Son. Or this is the Antichrist, those that deny that Jesus is the Christ or the Christos. The Christos for them, for this particular audience, it would have taken on new meaning since the resurrection. But pre the resurrection, uh, it comes from the Hebrew idea of, of Messiah, the anointed promised one that would come and deliver. When Greek times came in, this was changed to the idea of Christos, which would have still been uh, the anointed deliverer. But then after the ascension... After the resurrection and the ascension, they would have added to this definition and understood it as the early churches. This is the anointed. This is the one sent to rescue. But not only that, it was God himself. It was God himself that was the anointed that was sent to rescue. This was the Christos. So anytime we see Jesus the Christ, it wasn't like a last name. No, it was a descriptor. A descriptor of one that was promised from Old Testament days that they were waiting on. And when he arrived, they began to understand that it wasn't just a prophet. It wasn't just a good person, but it was actually God with skin on. And he came to deliver people, not from a terrible governmental regime, but sin itself, which separates us for eternity from God, unless we believe. This is the Christ. And he says, these are the people that are walking away, trying to pull you away. They are now denying that in some shape, form, or fashion. They are anti-Christ. Okay, we can, we can do whatever we want with that word, but it literally means like anti-Christ. It's the same way like some people are anti-turn signal. You know, there's going to be several things I'm going to say today that are going to make me sound really old. That's one of them. One of my biggest pet peeves in life, I have, I have two that are at the top of my brain. One, people that don't use turn signals. Drives me crazy. Why wouldn't you use turn signals to change lanes on the interstate? Like, if you don't use turn signals, you need to repent, and you need to start using turn signals. Turn from your wicked ways, use turn signals. Here's the other one. Like, I like Chick-fil-A, and once a week, I treat myself to curbside pickup at Chick-fil-A. Do you know what I see at curbside pickup on Tuesday mornings at Chick-fil-A? People parking in curbside pickup and walking inside. That's wrong on so many levels. Those are two, yeah, so like you got anti-turn signal people, you know what that is? Those are people that don't use turn signals. You got anti-curbside people break the law kind of a thing. Those are people that park in curbside and walk in instead of waiting for people to do their job and come out and deliver your food and say, it's my pleasure to serve you. Both of those things, anti-that. Same thing with anti-Christ. Like, it's not like this huge spiritual denomination of people. It is people that are denying that Jesus was the Christ. That's what they meant. And he says, you know, the Antichrist is coming, but already now, many Antichrists have already come. They've already made themselves evident, and they've come out from among us, and they're trying to take you with them. And he said, this is what they are. They are people that deny Jesus and the Father, and they are people that deny that Jesus was the Christ. People that deny that Jesus and the Father are one, their relationship, where Jesus came from, who he was, his very identity, but they also deny that Jesus was the Christ. We'll talk about why that's so vastly important for us. Because I, I read this, and I know that this is kind of the linchpin for First John, but, but man, if I'm looking at culture the best that I possibly can, this is vitally important that we understand what's going on. Not for prophetic things, but for like now things. And so he's like, 
I write to you not because you don't know the truth, but because you know it. This is verse 21. He said, who, who is the liar but the one that denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and Son. Then verse 23, we get some very concrete news, and we need it. No one who denies the Son has the Father. No one who denies the Son has the Father. I'm going to say it again. No one who denies the Son has the Father. This is critically important. Vitally important that we understand. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Jesus made some very similar statements. And John happened to be there to see them and witness them. So it's, it's flowing out of that. If we, uh, we're going to throw John 10 up there really quickly. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voices of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used to them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you that I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. John chapter 14. We'll go to that next one. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have not told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said, Lord, do we know the way that you're going? Uh, how, can we go, how can we know the way? And Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus was incredibly clear that the way to God was him, and there was no other way. And you say, man, that's incredibly dogmatic. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Why else would the Son of God come and die for all humanity if there was another way? He wouldn't. Why else would the law that we could not possibly live up to be fully fulfilled in one man, the Christ, the Christos? Why else would the law be fully fulfilled in one man because we couldn't live up to it and then that man be the man that died? Because there was just one way. Jesus says, I am the door. I am the door. You can't enter another way. If you hop the fence, you're a thief, you're a liar, you're a robber, and you will be cast out. And he says, I'm going before you to prepare a place. And Thomas is like, but we don't know the way. And Jesus is like, you do. I'm him. As a matter of fact, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. Like some people are going to read this and they're going to hear it as the exclusivity of the gospel. We need to hear it and understand that there's freedom only found in Jesus. Our way to God is only through Jesus. That's it. And if there is a message contrary to that, then it's a lie. It's a lie. I mean, John's telling the people there, right here in verse 22, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed, the redeemer that was God with skin on. This is the antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. It's not just the exclusivity of the gospel. It's that freedom is only found in Jesus. 
our way to God. It's him. That is why he came. That is why he lived. That is why he died. That is why he rose. That is why he ascended, because he's it. He didn't say I'm one way. He didn't say I'm one truth. He didn't say I'm one life. He, he said the, the only way. And when we're going about our normal day-to-day life, if we already have that when it comes to communicating the gospel, we need to make sure that we communicate it clearly. That here's not a chance for you. No, no, no. You have to understand that if we're going to believe in Jesus, it's just Jesus. So much of the New Testament was written to people that they were so confused because they thought that they needed Jesus plus other things. And the book of Galatians is a prime example. He's like, no, 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 you don't need Jesus plus stuff. You, you just need Jesus. Here, John's telling them the, only th- the, other th- the same thing. Like, look, 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 you got to understand. Like, the way to God is just Jesus. There's no other way. When we read about examples of faith all throughout the Gospels, like, he asks, like, do you believe? Not do you believe something, but do you believe in me? Like, just me. Like we want to add so much and heap so much into the wheelbarrow of following God and understanding and knowing him. But the only thing that we need is just Jesus. But we have to have just Jesus. Just Jesus. So he gives this very hard line statement. No one who denies the son has the father. But part B of that verse is whoever confesses the son has the father also. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. What what does that loaded statement mean? Confess the Son as who he is. Confess him as the Christ, the anointed, the promised deliverer, the Messiah that we have been waiting on even before we knew that we were waiting on him. And as a matter of fact, it was God himself. Confess Jesus. Romans 10 says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. Like he who confesses the Son doesn't just have Jesus, but he's got the Father. So if you deny Jesus... You don't have the Father. If you confess Jesus, you do. I love the simplicity and the beauty of Scripture. This is the gospel right here. Like there's no other solution for my sin. There's no other solution for the debt that I've racked up. There's no other way for me to understand what righteousness is. There's no way for me to enter eternity with God himself but Jesus right here. And the people 2,000 years ago that were wandering around that were just a couple of years off from actually seeing Jesus' physical resurrection, they needed to hear it too. And us, a couple thousand years later, we need to hear it. That is just Jesus. No one who denies the Son has the Father, but whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Verse 24, just reminding them, let what you've heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. He's like, that same truth that you heard in the very beginning that brought about salvation in you, Romans 10, faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of God. Like that very same thing that you heard that drew you to the truth of Jesus, like cling on to that and let it live in you. Let it live in you. Let it take root. Let it grow. Let it thrive. Let it be applied to your life daily. He said, if that's the case... You will live with Jesus, and not only will you live with Jesus to God, but you'll live with him for eternity, for eternity. There were people that were telling them otherwise. So at this particular time, we don't exactly know because they weren't titled, they weren't named, but here are some some possibilities. Um, Gnosticism wasn't named until a little bit later, but Gnosticism was a a religious practice that that came out, and it it was basically like, hey, I know what you've heard about Jesus, but there's some new and mystical things you haven't heard, and we need to tell you those because they're really fabulous. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what it was. They're, they're really sparkly. They're really good. They, they probably came to us in a, in a weird dream, 
But now we know the truth, and you need to know the truth too. Gnosticism could have been one of those things. And some of these people that left, maybe those were their words. Maybe they were like, yeah, 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 yeah. You've heard the truth about Jesus, but you haven't heard it all. I need to tell you more. I need to tell you more. John's already warned against that. He's like, no, 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 what you heard from the beginning. What you heard from the beginning. And it's probably like what you heard from me in the beginning, the people that he's talking to, either me or one of his contemporaries that's probably dead now. He's like, what you heard from the beginning, abide in that, not that other stuff, not the sparkly new stuff, not that. The other thing was docetism. Docetism was this idea that Jesus wasn't actually in flesh. He was a spirit. No matter the things that he said, he wasn't really in flesh. He was just a spirit walking around, but a really convincing spirit. So much so that when Thomas touched the spirit, he's like, oh, it's a person. You know, that kind of thing. And because of that, what led out of that, if Jesus was all spirit, then what we do in the flesh doesn't matter. We've already talked about that a little bit. Like they, they were confronting ideas of sin, and they had been hearing from people that sin's really not that big of a deal because Jesus wasn't flesh. He was spirit. What he did in the spirit's all that's important. What you do in the spirit's all that's important. It doesn't matter if you sin. John's already confronted that. Here's another idea. Like if, they, if there are people that are coming out from them and being like, yeah, 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 it doesn't matter what you do. Like that sin stuff, it's not real. You can do whatever you want. Go and live like demons. Doesn't matter. Jesus wasn't flesh, so it didn't matter. May have been those guys. Okay, that sounds kooky to us. It does. But at the same time, to them, people had heard it and they were thinking about it. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't believe that Jesus was, you know, exactly what we thought he was. We think he's something more and we want to tell you about that. Come, follow us. Let us tell you more. Or maybe it was just that uh, this other idea that wasn't quite named at the time, but it began to take root in about this period and, and keep going into the, the latter part of that century and into the second century of this idea that uh, Jesus, the man, and Jesus, the Christ, were two different people. Like, they were two different people. Here's how they were two different people. Here's where it gets crazy. Jesus was born as a man, and then the Spirit just came down and landed on him for a little while, and then he took off. And so, while he was man, he was just Jesus, son of a carpenter, Jesus of Nazareth. But when the Spirit was on him, he was Jesus the Christ. But when Jesus the Christ left, he was just a dead guy, and he was back to Jesus of Nazareth. These are these little things of like, hey, you've got Jesus. That's great. That's great. But let me, let me share a little more with you and come and, and listen. John's just warning them. He's like, if anyone is adding to what you've already heard that revealed the truth of God through Jesus to you, then it's a lie. Don't follow them. Cling to what you heard from the beginning and stay with that. And if you do, you'll abide in him, he'll abide in you, and it will be forever. And it will be forever. Verse 26 he says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. All of these preceding things. He said in verse 27, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. Put a pen in that. But as, he was, as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has been taught to you, abide in him. Here's the other part about this text that's often taken way out of context. Um, we can read this by itself, and it sounds like, oh, the Spirit's given me everything I possibly need to know, and I don't need to learn. Well, here's the first evidence that that's not correct. John's teaching them a lot in this letter. <laughs> like, John's already teaching them how then they should live, okay? He's teaching them how they should view sin, how they should view life, uh, what they need to do when someone comes and tells them something new and sparkly about Jesus. He's already teaching them right here, so he would be contradicting himself if he was saying that. But in the context, this is what it's saying. Same thing that we've already said. No one needs to teach you any more about Jesus than you learn through the gospel. That's it. 
in its simplest form. It's not that, hey, the Spirit's already given you everything that you need to know. The Spirit will guide us. The Spirit will direct us. The Spirit will intercede for us. The Spirit will give us knowledge that we don't have. But there's also a need for us to go and pursue and learn to chase God with our minds, to chase God with our heart, to allow people to invest in us and to invest in others. We call that discipleship. So does Scripture. That's a need, and that's there. This isn't saying you don't need that. It's saying the truth that you heard from the beginning, that thing that you heard, yes, trust in that. Trust in that fully. Don't let anyone deceive you by telling you that you need more. You already know what you need to know if you are of us. You already know. And so I don't know how many of you were, were entered into a relationship with God as a child. But like, understand, like, I, that was, I was six years old on the shag carpet of my home. I already matted down, ugly. It was gold. Like, who puts gold carpet in the house? Well, my parents did, and it was hideous. But either way, at six years old, I shouldn't have been able to understand those things because it wasn't in me as a six-year-old. But I know that, that God did give me ability. God did give me insight because it's God who saves, not me through my understanding. And I need to try to think back to the simplicity of that moment, the simplicity of that moment. And in, the, in that moment, I realized that, that, yes, in my terms, at that age of a six-year-old, I was a sinner, and that's not what God wanted, and it took Jesus to fix me, and I had to believe in him and only him. That's the truth that we heard from the beginning, that a six-year-old, through the work of God, can comprehend that. It doesn't take any more. It doesn't take any more. If you've been told, yeah, Jesus is good, but you need more, it is a lie. The longer that I'm in the saddle with Christ, the, longer that I, the more that I understand that it's far simpler than I ever thought it was. Is it hard some days? Yes, but it's far simpler. Jesus did what I could not, so therefore I trust in him to place me where I could not go, and that's with God. The gospel at its simplest form. I don't need to add anything to that. I don't need to understand anymore, but I just need to understand that Jesus was the only one that could do it, and I trust in him and him alone. We don't need anything more. And if someone comes and they say you do, they are a liar. And we can call them such, and we can turn and walk away. And you say, well, that's very unloving. Maybe. But at that moment, what you believe about Jesus is more important than listening to that. So turn away. You can pray for them as you walk away. You can pray that there might be another conversation. But at that moment, you leave. And you say, man, that's pretty hard. People will come and try to tear us away all the time, and they're agents of Satan. And we need to deal with them as such. We walk away. We don't mess with this. We leave. That's a big word, antichrist, and that's what those people are called. We still deal with them now. We still would deal with them now. And John here, like we're not trying to add to Scripture. We're not doing eisegesis. That's bad. Boo. But one thing that we see is John's not telling them, try to convince them to come back. He's just calling them what they are. He's calling them and saying, look, they're liars. If anyone is telling you uh, that Jesus was not the Christ, they're an antichrist. He's not telling you to invite them back in. He said they went out. And sometimes when people go out, we have to let them go out and let God deal with them. And you say, well, that's our job. Sometimes it's not. And I'll be glad to talk to you more about that later, but here's my deal. I want to protect you. Like, that's my job. Like, that's one of the things that I've been called to do is protect you. And if someone comes to you and they lie to you about Jesus, you leave. You leave. We'll talk about it later. We'll debrief over coffee. But in that moment, you leave. So what do we do with, with all of this? Number one, and I think this is the vital one. I think this is the one that's going to make me sound like a curmudgeon a little bit. But I'm 44. I've earned it. 
Man, use caution who you follow. Exercise great caution who you follow. Because in the world of social media and YouTube shorts, man, we can see people that say things, and it sounds really good. It sounds really good. They may say something like, you know, because of God, because of this, because of this, I have this. Would you like to learn more? The problem is most of those people never mention Jesus. They don't. Like any celebrity can sound like a really good person if they sprinkle a little God on it and talk about good things that have come into their life. But here's the deal. We don't know the rest of their life. And if they're not claiming that Jesus and only Jesus gave them access to this God, then they're claiming something else. And we can't allow 15 seconds of information to inform us as to whether or not we should follow them. Be very cautious who you follow. Because the goal of them, whether they know it or not, is to pull people away from the truth. We don't want that. We walk away from that. Use great caution as to who we follow. Um, Be leery of new teachings. Be very leery of new teachings. There were some incredible minds ordained by God for the past 2,000 years to teach the truth and the validity of Scripture and who Jesus is. Just because we have more technology, just because we've existed for a little bit longer does not make us smarter than them. So if someone comes to you, either on the internet or in person, and say, hey, here's something that was previously unknown about God and Jesus, chances are they're lying or they've been lied to and they've bought in hook, line, and sinker. It's not to say that there are not things that God will will reveal to us, but they have to match up with the truth in Scripture that's already been revealed. So if someone comes to you and says, hey, here's a brand new thing about Jesus, there's a good chance they're they're lying and they're peddling something we don't need. And I know that makes me sound like an old fogey. I, I get it. Like that internet's bad, you know? That YouTube is of the devil. That Facebook needs to go. But I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying exercise caution. Exercise great caution in who we follow. Um, just because someone puts a little God on something doesn't mean that it's trustworthy. We can celebrate with them. Like if they've been given victory, yeah, celebrate them, but don't allow our hearts to invest in them. Don't allow our hearts to invest in them. Like just, just be careful. The second thing that I think comes out of this too is like be incredibly confident in the gospel you heard in the beginning. Be incredibly confident in the gospel that you heard in the beginning. Like, if you, if you can look back, and we don't want to base things off experience, but if we're placing truth of the gospel and Jesus along with our experience to know that it brought us to a place out of the world and into life with God, like, trust in that. Like, trust in that. We don't have to add anything to that to understand. Like, the gospel was meant for simple, finite men to understand, and we did. Now, can we delve into it, and can we dig with our minds? Can we reason with God? Absolutely, and that's vital, and that's important. But look, the gospel that we trusted for salvation is the same gospel that we trust every day to keep us close to God, same exact one. Doesn't mean that we don't pursue. It doesn't mean that we don't chase. We do that. Uh, We need to learn as much as we can about what it looks like now for us to follow Jesus. But hey, trust the gospel that revealed Jesus to you. Trust it every single day. Uh, For some of us, that means that we need to be fluent in gospel. And so what that means is you need to spend some time saying, yes, I did did believe this, but I haven't spent a whole lot of time understanding what that means. Like, go through and read the gospels. Go through it just as a starting place. Like, I would say, just, just go through and read. Start in Matthew. Maybe start in Mark. I'd say start in Mark. Read all of Mark. Read all of Luke. Then read Matthew. Then read John. If I had to give you an order, that's the way that I would do it. 
Mark, Luke, Matthew, John. And I know that's confusing, but I, I can tell you more about why I would say that in a minute. But do that and listen to the words of Jesus. Listen to what he's offering and let that inform what you believe. But it, it doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be new. It doesn't have to be shiny. It doesn't have to be complex. Because again, Jesus came to very simple, very finite men, and those are the men that he used to build his church. Those men, those fishermen, like those, those, those blue-collar guys that didn't go to rabbi school, that didn't have letters after their name. And there's no offense to people that have letters after their name. You people are great. But God used people that were just everyday, normal, like me. Thank goodness. God used those people. Just, man, seek to understand what Jesus offered. If you don't know the gospel, like if you like, I wish I could cling to that, but I have no idea what you're talking to. Just ask. Just ask. Ask people that the people around you that are following Jesus. Ask them, and then if they can't answer, like ask the people they trust. But again, old fogey comment coming right here. Don't Google it. Don't Google it. Okay? Don't go to YouTube for it. Like go to someone. Someone whose life you trust because you've seen them, you've heard them declare their faith in Jesus, and you've watched them live that out. Go to them. Ask them to help, please. And then later, if you have a question, then maybe Google it, but not first. Not first. Go to someone. And if you need someone, hey, come to us if you don't have anybody. We'll be glad just to sit down, have a conversation, um, and explain to you and lay out the simplicity of the gospel. Because this is the gospel that saves us. It doesn't need to be updated. It doesn't need to be refined. It just needs to be trusted and applied every single day. This is the gospel. John issued all of this as a warning. And so I think we read it as such. You are going to encounter people who are going to try to lead you away with something that's just a little bit different or maybe a lot different. But at the end of the day, we just need Jesus. We just need Jesus. He will radically change our lives. He will address sin in our life. He will address how we deal with sin. He'll address how we love like him, how we forgive like him, how we live like him, how we follow in his footsteps. But before any of that, it's just Jesus. It's just Jesus. Trust in him. Trust in that. And let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. God, we love you. We thank you for time. We thank you for Jesus. And God, we thank you that he's enough. And we don't need to dress him up. We don't need to repackage the gospel. We don't need to, to add anything to it or take anything away from it. But he did exactly what he needed to do so that we could know you. God, I pray that you'd give us wisdom. Uh, Father, when, when there's an offer of something that's not true, when it's contrary to the, the identity of Jesus, Father, we would know. We would see it as a counterfeit and we'd walk away. Father, when there are times in which we struggle to know what to believe, I pray that you would remind us of the simplicity of the gospel that we trusted in for salvation. And for those sitting here, Father, that don't know you, Father, I pray you'd reveal it to them now, this week, through things that were said today, through things that they could read, through the way that you're going to deal with them, through conversations that they will have. If they just ask the question, what is this gospel? I don't know what it is. I pray those that they ask, you'd give wisdom to answer well or direct them to someone who can. God, thank you for the simple truth that it's we know you because of Jesus and through Jesus. And if we don't have Jesus, we don't know you. Thank you for your word. Thank you so much for Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.